there has been many studies on complex instruments like string instruments or uh, wind instruments, but instruments which look simpler have been uh, um, a bit forgotten. Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I am honored that you are part of our dance tribe. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to a new episode of the Baladins Live podcast. And today we are not going to talk just about Baladins Live, but we literally will have a historical dive into research by Dr. Audrey Cotet, who is actually researching in the physics department with over 20 years of experience in theoretical physics. But outside the lab, Audrey is a Middle Eastern dance and percussion student. She has learned how to play finger cymbals with Hassan Abdel Halek and Nicolas Derulin in Paris. This practice also motivated her secondary research activity on the history of cymbal playing. She has recently written one article on finger cymbals played in the Roman Empire in the journal Early Music, published by the Oxford University Press, and also she has a second article literally published these days in the review Clara, Classical Art and Archaeology, hosted by the University of Oslo. In our today's episode, we are gonna dive really deep in the history, or at least known history of Zil, Sagat and symbols, and even talking about terminology and what is appropriate and what is what. And if there are differences or there are no differences in these terms, we also will be talking about the very first mentions of symbols and specifically finger symbols in the ancient history and specifically address research on the tradition of finger symbols playing in the Roman Empire. But also we will be talking about other countries and other cultures too, including first mentions of finger symbols in Egyptian culture. Another very important topic that we will address in our today's interview, it's not only the importance of critical thinking uh, in your research, but also the process of writing a peer-reviewed articles, which are very different than just a simple article for a blog or some magazine. Both are valid and valuable, but there are differences and we will be addressing them in our today's conversation. So, on this note, I'm letting you dive into the interview, learning something new about finger symbols, and don't forget to check out two articles, links are included in the show notes, as well as for those who are in Paris, Literally these days, uh, Audrey will have um, a live performance uh, playing cymbals a cappella. So check it out. I will include link for the show notes. And for those who are not in Paris or who will be listening later, don't forget forget to connect with our guest via Instagram and uh, follow her announcements, uh, research uh, insights, and of course uh, other activities related to belly dance and finger cymbals. Hello, dear Audra. Welcome to the Baladance Life uh, podcast. Uh, welcome to our online chat uh, uh, community. And I'm very happy to feature you and your work today on our show. Thanks a lot, Jana. I'm really honored to be invited to your podcast, which is a great resource for uh, everyone interested in Middle Eastern dance. And uh, I listen to all episodes. <laughs> Thank you. I'm very happy to to hear it. So, uh, in this case, you probably know a couple of outlines of how, in general, like at least we start our conversation. And I know we'll talk today a lot, probably about your research in Zils. But I have to ask, uh, how did everything started? How your interest in uh, Middle Eastern dance and music, where it came from? What was the very beginning of the story? Okay, so the very uh, beginning is a bit particular. Uh, I've always danced a lot, 
and I have practiced many different styles. And at some point, I, I started to have some articular problems uh, at the hips, which meant that I could not dance anymore. And uh, I just tried a, a, a Middle Eastern dance class randomly. Uh, because I had some um, classes remaining on, uh, uh, and uh, I had a card to go to a dance school, and um, and so I tried, but this was I, I had no connection with this culture at all, and I found out that um, movements of belly dance were making me feel better and treat my articular problems, which medicine could not do. And that's the way I became involved in uh, uh, Middle Eastern dance. And uh, I decided that I had to to practice it uh, uh, with a certain level of intensity because it, it was so good for me that it, it really enhanced my health a lot. So, um, in fact, I, I met Finger Simas very early in my uh, journey in, in uh, Middle Eastern dance. After three or four months of um, uh, belly dance classes, my teacher brought in class some finger symbols, and I just fell in love with this practice because I find the concept of dancing and producing your music at the same time uh, fantastic. But um, we did only once finger symbols in, in this class. And I wanted to know more, so I decided that um, I, I, I would follow uh, uh, classes of finger cymbals with a percussionist. Because uh, in Paris, there are no specialized classes for dancers who want to uh, uh, go to a dance class and do intensively finger cymbals. There are almost uh, no finger cymbal players, unfortunately. So you have to go to musicians to learn about this practice. And um, I have met two fantastic percussionists uh, who taught me ma many things. I spent one year and a half with a teacher called uh, Asana Belhalek. And uh, this was supposed to be a, a collective class. But uh, due to the lack of interest for finger symbol in Paris, we were only two in the class. And the other student uh, gave up after two months. So it made that for one year and a half, I was alone in this class. Mm. So this was a, really a fantastic uh, opportunity. And, uh, and uh, Hassan is really a fantastic teacher. Uh, and uh, he really helped me a lot to, to start with finger symbols. And after one year and a half, he told me that he could not go on anymore because he was losing money because of me, because I was alone in the class. So he told me, I had promised you to to learn you how to play finger symbols and now uh, it's okay. So so we have to we have to stop. And after that, during COVID, I also took online classes with another teacher called Nicolas de Rollin. And uh, the two have uh, very different methods. Uh, Asan has more a method which is oriented towards dancer. He, he obliges you to dance and play finger symbols since the very beginning of the practice, which I think is very important for, for dancers to, to develop the coordination between dance and playing. But he insists that we keep finger symbol playing relatively simple. And on the contrary, Nicolas de Rollin has more uh, uh, a musician approach. He really translates what darbuka players do into finger cymbal playing and uses uh, a, a, a wider range of sounds that you can uh, produce with cymbals. So his playing is more complex and goes more towards uh, virtuosity. So it's really complementary with the teaching of Hassan, and, and I really loved to have these uh, these two different methods. Uh. What was the most difficult uh, element or thing to learn while uh, trying to learn to play zils? Um, for me, the, the most uh, difficult part was uh, that when I started learning finger symbols, I was really a beginner and uh, in dance. So I had to dance uh, 
uh, with no indications because uh, my teacher was not a dancer and I had to play fingers at the same time. So that was a big challenge for me, but very instructive. Hmm. How also was the experience? Because you mentioned you start learning first in person and then taking online classes. And many dancers are familiar with this experience for dance classes but uh, how different it is uh, with music instrument is it just the same is it more difficult is it easier some elements what are the struggles in online learning uh, i think that to start learning it was essential for me to do it in person to oblige me to to dance while playing and um also to interact directly uh, with the teacher because the teacher was playing darabuka and so i was playing finger cymbals mm -hmm. while he was playing uh, a darabuka and uh, I, I had not seen a, a true darabuka player before that so for me it was essential to to get the the energy coming from the interaction between the finger cymbals and darabuka mm -hmm. and then when you switched online uh because of technologies, was it straightforward and easy or was there any difficulty? Because technologies, we all like, you know, I keep thinking about uh, some struggles even teaching dance class. Sometimes the music is delayed from sound or the interruptions or etc. So, and when you're learning to play music instrument, timing is actually extremely important, I assume. So Absolutely. how did it yeah. work for you? So in the teaching method that Nicola uses uh, online, uh, we don't uh, play finger cymbals simultaneously as he plays darabuka because it's not possible. But uh, I would say that uh, the online format was really uh, appropriate for his very technical teaching because we had the recording of the class which was available for a long time. And so I could... Uh, uh, listen and listen again what we had to play to uh, get all the um, all the the subtleties of the rhythmic patterns that we had to learn and this this was really necessary because we played very complex things and i like to to write down the reasons i have my own method to to to, to memorize on paper the reasons so i was playing tens of times the recordings and writing down the the, the rhythmic patterns and i have a, a whole book with old reasons and uh, rhythmic sentences uh, but this was really thanks to this format that i could repeat and repeat again the recordings Mm, yeah, there is a pros and cons on any method of learning, but that's yeah. interesting that you pointed out uh, that this worked for you specifically. Yeah. And I know also that you took your curiosity about uh, finger symbols to the next level and you actually start doing research. So yes. how did the research part start it? And what was your main motive in actually digging so deep instead of just, uh, you know, staying and enjoying the the practice of learning and playing uh, the music instrument? So, um, I love this story. So, whenever there is something for which I have a strong interest, I can't help looking at the historical elements. And it turns out that uh, in my professional life, I am a physicist. So uh, I, I do academic research on a fundamental level. I'm a CNRS research director. Uh, so CNRS is uh, the biggest research institution uh, in France. And I am hosted at the Ecole Normale Supérieure in Paris, which is a multidisciplinary uh, establishment. So I work in the, in the physics department, but there are many resources available for all disciplines. And uh, so, First, it was just a laser for me. I, I, I started to read books on archaeomusicology. I could not find um, enough elements to satisfy my curiosity. So I started to access research articles, which I could uh, get thanks to my uh, research institution. Uh, 
then I went to the library of the Ecole Normale Supérieure. They have a huge library. They, they started to collect books at the beginning of the, of the 19th century. So you have an incredible mm-hmm. library, which is like a labyrinth with, with many rooms, and you, you can lose yourself there. And so I, I made a, a big, big bibliographic work, and I realized that percussions, and in particular cymbals, have not paid, uh, uh, they have not raised a lot of attention from academic researchers so far. There, there has been many studies on complex istr- instruments like string instruments or uh, wind instruments, but instruments which look simpler have been uh, um, a bit forgotten. So I thought that uh, it would be worse to do a work on this topic because it could interest both academics, but also uh, people who play cymbals uh, today. And I thought that um, I could do this because of my expertise in um, in academic research. Uh, I, 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 I am a physicist, so I'm initially I'm not in the field of archaeomusicology, but I, I know how to make a bibliographic search in a very rigorous way, how to uh, analyze rigorously a, a set of data, how to write an article in an academic way, and how to um, to uh, um, exchange with some uh, professional editors and some academic reviewers. So I decided that I would do a work with the same level of accuracy as what I do in physics, except that, of course, there are no equations. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a really interesting topic about uh, specifically this music instrument and uh, uh, before we actually dive into the research and your work itself, I just realized that I think we first kind of need to approach the question of terminology. Because this yes. music instrument is called cymbals. I noticed that you are preferably using this term. It's also known as zils, it's also known mm-hmm. as sagats, and I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. there are many more other like terms. Mm-hmm. So, can you clarify, please, uh, how you approach this topic? What is what, like in your opinion, in your according to your like research and diving, and uh, um, how is it appropriate to call this music instrument? <laughs> uh, I think that it really depends on the culture that you consider. Uh, Zil, uh, it's the Turkish word. Uh, Sagat is uh, more the uh, Egyptian Arabic word, and uh, finger symbols is a more uh, generic uh, term uh, used in uh, England or United States. And so, um, depending on wh- with whom you you learn finger symbols nowadays, you will use zil or. Uh, uh, Sagat. In France, uh, we, we use more often the word Sagat because there are many uh, teachers with an Egyptian uh, culture. Mm-hmm. Um, now for the ancient period, uh, for the Roman times, uh, these terms, Zil and Sagat, they are not relevant because they are modern, uh, modern words. So that's why I prefer to uh, use finger symbol, which is more descriptive because symbol is a, is a very generic word. Mm-hmm. And it's not, of course, a word which was used by, uh, by Romans, but uh, there was no specific word, in fact. Um, Romans ha- had a, a term which is uh, kotala, which comes from the Greek. But that's a very generic term which is used for any type of castanet-like instrument. And that's a problem in the, the written historical sources uh, uh, to, to have uh, hints about uh, the existence of uh, finger symbols in ancient times. It's very complicated because there is no specific term and you have no specific description of the, of the symbol playing techniques in, in Latin text. Hmm. 
I also just wanted to, to clarify for listeners, who, many of whom may be very new to this topic, and actually I encourage, if you don't know what we are talking about, Google, like finger symbols or zills or sagats, to actually know, like probably visually everyone saw, whoever is listening to this kind of podcast, like at least saw the instrument, but maybe not associated, or that's how it's called. So for everyone, I encourage at least Google to see visually how the instrument looks, but to clarify that all this different terminology, it's more from a cultural perspective and from maybe time period of what we are talking. It's not related to the size of the instrument because uh, uh, sagats, symbols, or zils, they can be very small, they can be very big, but it's not like, oh, the smallest called zils and the biggest called like symbols. It's more like this terminology, it's related to culture from, uh, from perspective of which culture you're talking about this music instrument or timing. And you already start talking about uh, research of ancient uh, history and using of uh, zils or symbols. Um, and I know you are very uh, particular in your interest in Roman times on zils. But yes. I would like to ask in your research, um, what did you find as the most ancient mentioning of this instrument? Maybe in paintings or maybe in some written notes somewhere maybe you remember some like at least a general period of time and what did you encounter as the most ancient item found in archaeology okay so it depends on whether you ask the question for symbols in general or for symbols used as finger symbols mm. okay so, for uh, symbols in general, um, the most ancient types of symbols date back to the third millennium before Common Era. So, before Common Era, it means before Christ. And uh, uh, they were found in Anatolia. And so, these are primitive symbols, which are just uh, a, a metallic disc, which is flat, with a handle. And so now you can see this type of uh, instrument in several museums uh, across the world. Um, and these things are believed to be primitive symbols, but they don't look like uh, uh, symbols uh, uh, which are used uh, now in the Middle East. In the second millennium before Common Era, you start finding uh, symbols which really looks like modern symbols, that is symbols with a cup, uh, with a concave part, and a flat rim around. So you can find uh, representations of such symbols, and also you can find uh, uh, some uh, remains of uh, ancient symbols in the second millennium before Common Era, in Anatolia, and in uh, Mesopotamia, so Anatolia, this is the, the, the Asian part of Turkey, and Mesopotamia is a Middle Eastern uh, uh, area below Turkey. And uh, then you can, these symbols, you can also find them uh, in the, around uh, the 15th century, before Common Era in Greece. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, it seems that uh, they appear in Egypt later. Uh, from what I know, uh, the oldest symbols uh, with, uh, which have been found in Egypt date from um, the, I would say, the, around the seventh century before Common Era, which is much later. Mm -hmm. But um, the the common uh, the common uh, point between all these uh, cultures are mentioned, all these time periods, is that in all the representations, uh, players have only one symbol in each hand, mm -hmm. and they strike the two together to make the symbol ring. Mm -hmm. And so the, the big question I wanted to, to solve is uh, 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 when did uh, people start using two symbols per hand? And um, I found uh, such uh, uh, representations of finger symbol players 
uh, in the Roman culture, in the Roman Empire, between the second and fourth century common era, so after Jesus Christ, but not before. Um, maybe later, another researcher will find an earlier representation, but mm -hmm. I didn't. And actually, um, I think that it's it's not so surprising that uh, finger Simba's uh, representations are, are easier to find in the Roman culture because Roman people are known for taking instruments from previous cultures and especially from the Greek culture, which they really, um, um, I mean, they were very impressed by Greek music and, uh, and wanted to take inspiration from it. But they are known for having introduced many variations on the uses of these instruments and on introducing um, technical improvements on the on the instruments. And this is discussed in particular by, by a, a well-known uh, French archaeomusicologist called Annie Bellis, who, who describes this uh, phenomenon in her articles. And I found that for symbols, that's exactly the case. Mm -hmm. If you look at Roman iconography, uh, you can see uh, I've, I've counted seven different uses of symbols, which uh, cannot be identified with certainty in previous periods. So they still use hand symbols very often, but you have also symbol tongues. So symbol tongues, it's a tongue with symbols. So you can imagine a, a tongue uh, like a barbecue tongue, <laughs> and you just you just put two symbols uh, on the end, and you shake the tongue, uh, and and it makes the sim the symbol claps. And uh, so you have many representations of this instrument, uh, which were not studied so far. So in my second publication, I propose a typology for for this symbol tongues. Because depending on the placement of the cymbal tones, you can emit different songs. In, uh, songs, in fact. So, the, the, yes, sorry. So, for, to picture for our listeners uh, who are listening to us only, like tones can be uh, pictured maybe as a V-shaped stick, and to each uh, edge of this V-shape, there is a symbol attached. So it's kind That's of like a, two symbols on a two sticks which are connected at the mm -hmm. non-zills part, let's say. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, the symbols can be placed uh, uh, with the concave, pair, pa the concave parts face-to-face, -face, or they can be side-to-side. -side. And it, 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 in the first case, uh, the symbols will make a, a, a strong clap sound. So I don't know if it will go through the connection, but we can try. So you're basically just shaking this V-shaped yes. construction and the symbols just hit each other because they're facing towards each other and then there is shake, the physics of the instrument makes it, uh, makes it uh, produce sound. Absolutely. So it makes a clap because uh, it's, uh, when, the, when the rim uh, come uh, together, it, it makes this, uh, this uh, sound, but there's also a long-lasting ringing after that. And if the symbols are placed uh, side to side, it will just make the ring. So it's basically in this case, they are hidden not by the middle part of zeal, like for those people who are playing zills, when you close your hand, you're basically clapping through the middle of zills. But in this case, in the second case, because they are side by side, they only will be touching by the very edge of their rim. <laughs> Actually, with tongues, you have no you have no choice. But if you play finger cymbals, you can vary the placement mm -hmm. of the cymbals and make all these different sounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was uh, discussing the different uses for cymbals. So um, if we come back to that, so we have hand cymbals, cymbal tones. You could also play finger cymbals. You could uh, attach cymbals to your ankles and do backbends to strike with the hand uh, where you have a cymbal, the, 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 the cymbal ankle while doing a backbend. There's a mosaic which shows this practice in Jordania. 
Wow. Uh, in the fifth century. Uh, and there were also uh, true symbols with an, a cup and a rim which was which were inserted in frame drums. And I have not in mind a uh, representation of frame drums with true symbols before the Roman period. You could also insert symbols in the sistrum, which was a kind of rattle, you know, like for uh, kids' toys, just shake it mm -hmm. and uh, it. Uh, and it makes uh, symbols uh, rings. And uh, this was an instrument coming f initially from Egypt for the Isiac cult. And uh, when it uh, arrived in uh, uh, the Gallo-Roman uh, part of the, the Roman Empire, it, it, uh, it, it changed and uh, people started to insert true symbols inside the system. And the last possibility is to play symbols with the foot. There was a kind of a, a foot called the scabellum with a wooden sole, uh, uh, which could split in two, and with some metallic parts inside. And it seems that the, the concave shape of these metallic uh, elements uh, is consistent with symbols. So probably they were playing symbols with the feet. And the people using this scabellum were, were flute players, which flute players which were uh, um, um, uh, controlling big orchestras and they had to give the reason to all the members of the orchestra and they, they used this uh, scabellum. So due to this uh, multiplicity of, of symbol uses, it's, it's not so much surprising that uh, Romans had finger symbols. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> There's so much information. It's like the whole lecture on, and it's just a surface in, in each of this element can dive deeper. But that's sure. already really fascinating. So just to recapture like everything, again, to clarify, like, so basically the very ancient zeals or symbols, we can encounter uh, two, three millennium BC. Yes. From either mentions in somewhere written or paintings. And we can, I guess, say that according at least to this day research, because maybe in the future we'll find something else and something like new facts. But right now it seems like the instrument, the symbol instrument originated in the area of Mesopotamia and Anatolia, like Turkish area. Yeah, there, but it was basically a simple symbol. So f to also clarify, I guess the difference between symbols as symbols and finger symbols. It's if we imagine today's ballet dancer when we're talking mm -hmm. about playing symbols, we basically have four pieces of metal plates, two yes. in each hand, and that's what we are calling yes. finger symbols. When we're talking about symbols in general, it's basically not having four pieces of metal all together but having only two so one in each hand and you clap and sometimes it's even used today in like western modern like music and uh, melodies that maybe you don't have small but you have a big symbols and you literally hold each in one hand so basically the symbols themselves they are most likely originated in mesopotamian anatolia region but so far from what we know the practice of finger symboling looks like originated in Roman times. Is that uh, correct? Or it's not really enough uh, evidences to say that it was originated in Roman times? For the moment, there is no evidence that finger symbols existed before the Roman times. That's all that we can say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to come back to the discussion on modern symbols, in, uh, uh, in rock and roll, for instance, the symbols that are used are, are flat, are, 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 um, are more flat and, 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 and wider. And what is very striking in uh, Middle Eastern uh, symbols that are used by dancers or musicians is really the very pronounced cup for shape with the flat rim around. And actually, they are strikingly similar to Roman symbols. That's what that's one of the points which mo motivated me to look really at uh, at the Roman uh, and ancient period in uh, in general. 
I also want to highlight that you actually have published an article and I know the second part of article literally comes out also this day. So it may be before listeners are listening to the podcast already be published or maybe just like a few days a week after. Uh, but in your first part of article, which I definitely will link in the show notes, you're also doing a really amazing uh, demonstration of uh, illustration of all those uh, evidences that we see on ancient mosaics or sculptures. And it's uh, uh, also very easy to figure out what we are talking about, or oh, the specific shape of zeal or the positioning of zeal. Like you also have visual illustrations. So I highly encourage not only like to listen but to, for listeners, but to go and see and check it out because it also makes much more sense. And... Um, you also did very interesting research when one of the mosaics, you kind of put uh, uh, edges of it highlighted and then you figure out that it's actually very similar to the shapes and finger positions that even today we are using in the practice of playing uh, finger symbols or zills. <laughs> yes, yes. So... Um... <laughs> Here we, we are speaking of the first, ah yes, first, regarding the publications. I would like to highlight that uh, the, the first publication which is already available is free of access and the second publication will also be free of access and that's very important for me so that uh, my research is available for uh, the uh, maximum uh, number of people and not only uh, academics. Um, yeah, so as you say, it's really worth to, to access them because the illustrations are, are, are really beautiful, especially the mosaics. And in the second article that you did not see yes, yet, uh, there is really a fantastic mosaic from Syria, which is with an incredible amount of uh, details. It's even more impressive than the representations from the first article. So even if you don't have the time to go into all details, it's worth just to, to watch at the illustrations of the, the articles. Mm. Uh, and then what was the question? No, I was just uh, wanted to, to comment on this research because I remember it uh, oh, yes. like looking, it was very fascinating. And talking about the research uh, process, I know that these articles, uh, they were published as a peer-reviewed article. So it's not just, yes. you know, like some articles on some forum that someone decided, which is still valid and a lot of use. Many people really mm -hmm. contribute in this way. But we are talking about peer-reviewed articles. So what is the difference between just publishing a regular article somewhere on the internet resources, let's say, or publishing it as a peer-review article? Okay, so that's, so that's a, a very good question. So, if you write an article uh, somewhere in the internet without peer review, uh, you don't have the validation for from a scientific community, and uh, and it's dangerous because uh, you are prone to put speculations which are not. Um, which are not um, scientifically uh, demonstrated. And what I wanted is really to have the validation from specialists. So when you send an article to a peer-reviewed journal, uh, the editor of the journal will not automatically accept the article. Anonymous reviewers who are specialists, so typically uh, for archaeomusicology, this will be specialists of ancient music, of or archaeologists, and these people will say whether the article uh, has not uh, an academic level, if uh, they think it is a valid work or not, and they would also suggest improvements uh, to, to make the work better. And I think that this is a very precious uh, process to uh, really uh, uh, enhance the quality of the, the work and to have the validation of uh, uh, people who are really competent in the field. And this was all the more important for me as initially I, I am a physicist and so I'm, uh, I'm learning. 
And I have learned a lot from this, uh, this review process, which was very constructive. How many times did you need to review and improve your original article? For the initial writing, I would say um, it's difficult to, to, to count because I was also doing my physicist work at the same time. So I would say huh, maybe about nine months is full time. Yeah, and um, and then for the first article, it took me one month to reply to the reviewers. And um, the, the, the methodology for doing this work um, was something I really took care about. Because um, when you have a, an ancient image, uh, you have to be very careful about the interpretation. Because if you have a single image, and that you take many conclusions out of this, it can be very dangerous because the artist can have made a mistake. It, there can be an awkwardness in the representation. Or there can be some conventional, conventional elements in the representation which not correspond to uh, 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 figurative elements. So it was very important for me to find several representations of the finger symbol practice and analyze them in details and compare with other representations to, to be sure to understand the style of these representations and, and have more confidence uh, about the interpretation of uh, all these images. Mm -hmm. And so in total, I found five different representations of the finger symbol practice between the second and the fourth century common era. And the great surprise for me was that it was not in Egypt. And I, I was expecting to find this representation in Egypt due to the modern practice. But in fact, I found one representation in Belgium, one in Italy, one in Bulgaria, one in Syria, and the, the fifth, uh, the, um, the location is, uh, is undetermined. Uh, <laughs> Mm -hmm. So that, that was really a, a great surprise for me. But may it be uh, not because of the practice of playing finger symbols, but because of practice of depicting uh, dancers and people in different cultures? May it be related to somehow to that element? Or because of the time period, that's not really the factor? Um, so... To discuss this question, we have to, I think, to discuss the, the context in which symbols were, were used. Um, they were used in uh, some cults, like the, the Bashic cult, so Bacchus, which is also known as uh, Dionysios in, in Greece, which is the god of uh, many things, uh, grape, uh, grape uh, harvest, winemaking, uh, vegetation, fertility, uh, festivities. There was also the cult of, uh, uh, I don't know how you say this in English, Kibele uh, or Sibele. It's uh, the, mother god, the mother goddess. It's a cult from Anatolia, uh, which is also related to fertility. Um, Simbas were used in theater in Man in mime and pantomime uh, theater genres, and there are even representation in, in banquets. Mm -hmm. And all these elements existed throughout the Roman Empire. So I think that it's very likely that it's not only the representations of uh, finger symbols players who traveled, but I think that this, this practice existed in, in many different places. And the different representations that I found are not at all stereotyped. They all show different realistic elements of finger symbols. Um, so I think that most probably this practice existed in different places. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you have any actual evidences 
that it was combined with dancing or we only see and uh, assume uh, because it may be just musicians playing the finger symbols but do we have any historical connection what was the first evidence of dancer using finger symbols during her dance practice so all representations of finger symbols show dancers and uh, we know that it's dancers because they all have positions uh, which conventionally represent dance in the Roman iconography. So they always have uh, one foot before the other. So they are making a step. Very often they look backwards and they have one, uh, one arm above the head, which is a typical position for a dancer. And most of them uh, are women, but not always. Uh, there's one case in which it's not clear whether it's a man or, or a woman. And more generally, for Crotala players, you can also find a few men. But there are more, more examples with uh, women. And, um, and actually, uh, there are even, uh, I would say, um, evidences that Romans liked very much uh, this kind of performance and the sound of symbols. You have many representations where you have several symbol players. You can have finger symbols combined with symbol tones. So you have at least two people playing symbols. Um, and you can even find finger symbols player in representations of the elite orchestra with uh, very nice instruments like organs, concert guitars and other fancy instruments and they still use finger symbols in these ensembles so even if, the, if they were uh, seen as um, simple instruments by modern archaeomusicologists uh, it seems that these symbols were very much enjoyed by by roman people ah. and it was yeah, yeah. And uh, there's uh, one, one representation which I discuss in my second article, which I found particularly moving. Uh, this is a representation of an all-female band. So you have um, six women. On the forefront, you have a wooden floor where there is a finger symbol dancer. And the wooden floor seems reserved for this dancer. It's clear because all the other girls are packed behind the instruments and behind a table, so they cannot access the wooden floor. So it seems that this dancer is really at the forefront and her dance is seemingly a very important part of the show. And the five other women behind accompany her dance uh, with a, a very nice fancy uh, instruments uh, but she seems to be really a, a highlight of the show and this mm. mosaic this is a mosaic which was found in Syria and which dates from the end of the fourth century and beginning uh, or beginning of the fifth century and in a sense it uh, really reminds a, a modern show with the with the Finger symbol dancer and the band behind, and that's that's really moving. Ah, that's so fascinating! I can't wait to see yeah. the second part of the article. Yeah. <laughs> Are you already working on the part number three? <laughs> I'm thinking about it, but I also have to do physics. So for the moment, I have some urgent calculations to do for my collaborators, and they can't wait. So. Uh, I have to make a compromise between the two activities. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully in the future, on at your own like uh, tempo and pace. But uh, like that's already very exciting and very valuable what you already provided to the community and uh, highlighted in your research already. And one uh, another question that also popped up in my mind. Uh, so we talked about different time periods and different areas. Yes. Uh, and where we got first mentions or evidences of symbols in this culture, this culture. But maybe we briefly mentioned it, but maybe I just missed it in our right now conversation. So what about Egypt? What is the first mentionings or some evidences of specific finger symbols in the history of Egypt? Do we know this? 
Okay, very good question. Uh, so, um, for the Roman times, as I said, so far there is no uh, representation of finger symbol playing which was identified. This does not mean that it did not exist in Egypt. Maybe it's just that we did not have the luck yet to find in archaeological sites the, the proper mosaic which shows this practice. Okay, And I think that it's possible that this practice existed in Egypt because in the Roman Empire there, there was, uh, uh, there was a, a lot of dissemination of the cultural practices and there were symbols which were found in archaeological sites. It's just that we don't, didn't find the representation of the finger symbol playing. So it's totally possible that in the future we find Roman representation of finger symbol in Egypt. But for the moment, we don't know. So now to find the, all this representation of finger symbol in time in Egypt, we have to make a big jump in time. And so the oldest representation date back to the 18th century. And they were made by European travelers because at that time there were uh, no representations of uh, of uh, uh, humans and, uh, and especially dancers in the local culture, and this was drawn by uh, European travelers. So uh, there are some examples from the beginning of the, the um, 18th century, and in particular there is a drawing of a Coptic priest with finger symbols, and some drawings of uh, dancers. Mm. That's uh, like another reason why I earlier asked about this uh, uh, fact of just re representation of people in different cultures, but mm -hmm. I don't know historically how it was in each region, because th there was certain period of time definitely in Egypt and Middle East that it was not really the center focus of representing especially dancers mm -hmm. that's why it's interesting you can mention like all the earliest representation or mentionings that we have about finger symbols and dancers with finger symbols mm -hmm. in Egypt they actually were made by European travelers or, or encounters so that's that's interesting and I also really like and appreciate how you actually highlight the limitations of our current knowledge and this critical thinking that, okay, according to what we see now, it looks like this, but we don't know that maybe we don't know something or we didn't find something like uh, some like more proof. So I just really wanted also to highlight and uh, appreciate this importance of uh, critical thinking because even the fact that we can state right now, they're still coming out of knowledge that we have right now, and who knows what else we are still missing in terms of uh, seeing and finding. So that's really, really appreciated. <laughs> Absolutely. That's something which is very important for me to proceed in this way. And I want to highlight also that it's important not to say that it's because uh, we play finger symbols now that uh, we we inherit this culture directly from Romans because we have no, no proof of the historical continuity of the finger symbol practice from the Roman times to now. It's pretty well possible that this practice disappeared at some times and that it was reinvented later, much more recently. And to know about the time evolution of uh, the finger symbol practice, it's a huge work you have to study rigorously symbol uh, uh, playing period by period, culture by culture. And I think that's a, that's a lifetime work. Mm -hmm. And even from like uh, the history, what we know about Roman times, still there are many, many questions, as you mentioned, like, is was it actually originated there? Or maybe it was borrowed, or maybe some elements were borrowed and processed, or maybe it was originated somewhere else, but it was borrowed and became popular in the Roman Empire. And then the practice itself, it's from somewhere else. There's still so, so many questions. And it's also fascinating, this intercultural trends historically because uh, now there are popular discussions of what is authentic but in many different fields cultural fields i mean but it's always like this question like oh what we call authentic today maybe at some point it actually was 
borrowed and mixed and influenced by some other culture. So the search of authenticity, it all depends till which time frame you're willing to go to. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, in the Roman Empire, uh, Romans used to absorb cultural elements from all the places that they conquered. And there was also already a form of Orientalism um, in Roman representations, even in, uh, in Italy, you can find representations of scenes uh, which are called Nilotic scenes, uh, where you have processions uh, on the Nile. Uh, uh, um, and um, in Rome, uh, people enjoyed uh, to see uh, dancing girls which were slaved, which were brought from um, the south of Spain or from Syria. Yeah, yeah. So it's always the question, like, was it borrowed and influenced by other cultures? Or maybe something actually was originated in the culture, because every culture and country has something there that they, like, kind of, like, uh, give birth to, let's say, <laughs> and some other mm -hmm. things that they were, like, mixed and influenced and things. And uh, it's, um, it's interesting historically to see. It's interesting to see in modern world. And, uh, I don't know, I find very special beauty in this... Uh, a quest of, and not even the quest, but this uh, variety of things that appear inside the cultures and they are brought and mixed from different cultures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a very complex history because uh, uh, in uh, all, all across the Mediterranean area, there were many different types of castanet-like instruments. You have also some wooden clappers of different shapes. And uh, in Egypt, before the appearance of cymbals, there were many clappers like this, uh, which, has, which had the shape of hands or, or, or sticks. And uh, this could pretty well have prepared culturally uh, the, um, the, um, the dancers to, to welcome a new a new way to play cymbals, uh, but mm. we, we cannot know the, the process exactly. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. When you had the idea of uh, not only, because you very well could have just researched all of this for yourself and be happy with your research and uh, um, satisfy your curiosity, but you actually decided to put it out and not only out, you to go through the whole process of peer reviewing uh, the articles, which is... Uh, a whole set of challenges rather than just put like your research and uh, discoveries out in the world. Uh, what was your main uh, um, motive and what would you like for dance community to take out of, of this work that you put out? Uh, okay, so... Um, my main motif is that I could see in uh, uh, various uh, books written by dancers and in articles in, or in some lectures that there was a strong interest for the history of finger cymbals and for the history of dance in general. And also uh, I, I knew that what I had found uh, was... Um, was new and very original for the academic community. So I wanted to share it because uh, I think it, it was really worse. And also doing it with a professional style was important for me because I know that it would give me access to more resources so I could discuss with uh, archaeologists, with the museum curators, and um, now the fact that I published my research gives me contacts with some other specialists uh, in uh, research institutes which are specialized in acoustics or musicology. And so this is very precious for me to push this uh, further. Mm -hmm. And for the second question, um, well... Mm, it's a difficult question. <laughs> um, for the dancers, I think I want to share this knowledge with them because that's something which really marvels me. And I think that other people can enjoy it as much as me. And so I think that it's good to exchange ideas in a, in a, co in a community. 
and um, and also uh, I think that it's um, it's good to to share my my uh, methodological approach and my uh, and my knowledge as an academic to bring uh, to bring a new point of view and especially regarding the analysis of the iconography which, which was not done so far because uh, Dancers, I, I saw that dancers were very much attracted by the the remains of uh, ancient symbols, but they they did not consider a lot uh, the 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 images. And through my uh, academic background, and I've, I have an easy access to all these images, so I wanted to share that. Well, thank you so much for that, and we definitely need uh, more of this kind of work in the. Uh, ballet dance community on different topics and different subjects so thank you also for setting an example and uh, uh, motivation and hopefully inspiration for some people to pursue if they have their own subject of interest and especially if they have access to some materials that are not easily publicly available that they can uh, highlight and bring attention to uh, that's very very valuable and thank you for doing all this work for, for this <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, that's really a pleasure for me to do that. And, and having a professional activity uh, connected to a, a passion is really a, a great luck. And how all this research influenced your dancing? Um, well, I'm not sure it really influenced uh, my, my dancing because uh, I dance in the modern uh, uh, Egyptian style. <laughs> we don't know so much uh, how much uh, Roman dancing looked like, uh, because actually that's one uh, interest of studying music <laughs> more than dance is that it's easier because we have the remains of instruments and the representation of instruments. But there is a, uh, it's more difficult to know what ancient dance looked like because if you have just a 2D representation which is not necessarily very accurate, it's very difficult to reconstruct a dance. So I can't figure out how was the, the ancient dance, uh, personally, with this representation. So it does not influence me so much. Except maybe when I have a, an arm which is higher, sometimes I think about some representations. <laughs> well, that's interesting. But also it probably gives a different depth of understanding the music instrument and its history and connection. Maybe it's not influencing, you know, like the dance or movement, uh, but I guess it still influences the approach uh, with how you treat the music instrument. I think it has increased my fascination. <laughs> That's very valuable too. <laughs> well, um, before I uh, ask our traditional question of the podcast, I also once again want to thank you not only for doing all this research work and putting articles, but also for spending time and sharing a lot of it uh, today here with us on the podcast. I really appreciate it and highly encourage our listeners to check your full articles. Uh, links will be in the show notes. But can you also tell us where can our listeners find out more more about you, about your work. Uh, uh, maybe you have some resource or platform where you share about your dance adventures, zills and not zills related. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for um, the resources, the most detailed resource is my articles. Um, and I have an Instagram account, uh, which is uh, Dr. Audrey Cote, where I give some news about my research. Uh, I have also a Facebook page, but it's less active. And uh, for the dance part, I keep it more private because this is not a professional uh, activity. Uh, but... Uh, well, what can I say? For for um, for for dancers who would like to see a finger cymbal playing in Paris soon, um, uh, I will play some finger cymbals um, in a in a show which is organized by my present dance teacher, uh, Sia, uh, in the third of July. So. Um, um, I, I, you can put the, the link for this, and uh, it's um, it's uh, a show with with an amateur dance troupe, 
and there will be four professional dancers invited, including uh, Yael Zarka that you invited um, recently, and also uh, Gennaro Festa and uh, Mirto and, and Sia. And Sia made me the huge honor of uh, asking me to perform a very short uh, finger cymbal solo, uh, which I will play a cappella and I will make a discussion uh, with the public. So that's a, a huge honor for me. And uh, I hope to, to share my passion with finger cymbals on this occasion and, and advertise for this uh, wonderful instrument. Wow, good luck with uh, uh, preparing for the show. I'm pretty sure it's going to be amazing. And uh, uh, what a great way also to popularize the instrument. And I really hope that many more dancers will bring their attention back to finger cymbals because it's the instrument that is actually very important in the history of belly dance or the history of Middle Eastern dance. And now it became less popular uh, among uh, dancers, but hopefully that will change and uh, your work will definitely is one of the uh, tools to bring attention and interest back to this uh, very important and very ancient uh, music instrument, which is so beautiful to dance together, uh, like produce your own music while dancing, mm -hmm. making your own accents whenever you want them to do, <laughs> etc. That's really awesome fascinating to see, to hear, and also to understand the coordination and the multitask uh, task, uh, um, challenge of the person doing this kind of show. So good luck with that. And uh, I would like to close up, to summarize our conversation with our traditional question, which you probably <laughs> know since you listen to some of the episodes, but I'm going to twist it a little bit. And I'm going to expand it not just to ballet dance, but to specifically finger symbols practice too. So, in this case, it will sound like this. What makes you fall in love with ballet dance and finger symbols again and again, so you practice them for so many years so um for the belly dance part i would say that what really fascinates me uh in belly dance is the connection between the dance and music i've practiced many different types of dance formally but i've never found this connection between the dance and music which makes that you can illustrate with your body the rhythm or the melody or any subtlety of the music. And uh, this gives uh, amazing feelings. And why I like finger cymbals is that it reinforces this connection because you don't only uh, follow the music, but you can contribute to it. And you can even have a dialogue with, with the musician. And um, it makes the dance uh, the dance experience even stronger. That's it for today, guys. But before you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. This episode was brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, a meeting place for committed dance enthusiasts of all levels. Most of our members shared that the club helped them to improve consistency in their training, meet new dance friends and discover various topics through hundreds of different tutorials. This is definitely a belly dance training that becomes a lifestyle. Learn more at yanadanceclub.com, link in the show notes or simply visit yanadanceclub.com and try for 7 days for free.